Hi, this is Jacob here, and welcome to the next episode. Uh, I believe it's, uh, I forget what episode number it is, but we're on our uh, our next episode here of the Clown Chat Podcast. Um, we're doing another road episode. I am on the way to the to the beach right now, but I'm hitting some traffic, and uh, I figure you know it's a good time to check in on a couple of topics and record an episode so uh that's what we're gonna do uh this uh podcast is uh sponsored by show off training train with purpose go check out their website you can get you know training sessions merch all that good stuff and we're also sponsored by per36.com best basketball analytics website on the internet uh you can go check out uh, one of the latest things they have on there is just uh, some of the top scores in the NBA, how they get their points. Uh, so definitely check that out. Informative. They got plenty of other stuff on there as well. So we're gonna get into it now. So first topic I want to get into is the finals. And obviously, uh, so far my prediction of Bucks and Six is not looking too great. Um, obviously Phoenix coming away with those first two games at home. Now look, it's not over. I- I'm just going to say that. It's not It's not looking good, but it's not over either. Um, obviously, all the credit goes to the Suns for how well they played. I mean, that possession at the end of the first half in game two where just the ball movement for the Suns was just incredible. It was some of the, the best basketball I've seen. Just um, unbelievable execution. And uh, just hats off to the Suns, Chris Paul, Devin Booker, the whole squad for how well they have played. Um, I am going to say, though, it, it's not over. It, the Bucks still have a chance to win this. The Bucks are going home. They're going to get to play in front of their crowd. And the thing is is some of the factors that have led the Suns to win. I don't know, especially in Milwaukee, I don't know if they're going to be sustainable. Based on shot quality in Game 2, the Bucks had an 80% chance to win that game. They had, in fact, it was over 80%, I think it was, I saw. So, look, Chris Paul and Devin Booker, some incredible shot making by them. Great three-point shooting by the Suns. Are those things going to be sustainable? That is what we have to ask ourselves. And on the Milwaukee side, I think there's a lot of room for improvement. I think going from game one to game two, a lot of positive adjustments were made. They, they did a lot of good things. The only problem was, and, and obviously Giannis in game two, unbelievable, unbelievable performance. I hope this quiets the Giannis slander I all I keep hearing like the guy the guy is a star the guy is a top three player and he's a superstar in this league and he deserves that respect I mean you say whatever you want about Giannis but like at the end of the day the dude balled out in the finals game the dude took that team and put it put it on his back in a finals game like his back is going to be hurting worse than his knee Today, today, yesterday, for all the load he was carrying and all the just 
garbage performances on that Bucks side, which we'll get into in a second, that he was carrying for that team. I mean, he carried them. This is this is this is a superstar, superstar player. This is modern day Shaq, all of it. Giannis is great, and he deserves that respect. I'm not going to tolerate the Giannis slander. I'm just not. You can take that somewhere else. However, there are a couple of people that a couple of players on the Milwaukee that deserve the slander. And they are Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday. You both really had to suck in the same game. If just one of them, if just one of them was just okay, Milwaukee probably wins. Milwaukee probably wins that game. But neither one of them was good. They, they both sucked. I mean, neither one of them. I mean, Drew Holiday just missing layups and, and Middleton just cold. And it was just awful. I mean, Giannis had no help. Giannis had no help. I mean, you're not going to, and you're not going to beat the Phoenix team or, or a whole lot of teams this deep into the playoffs, frankly, that way. Someone else has got to step up. And I know Middleton played well in game one. I know he did. And he is probably going to get it together when they go back home. Middleton will probably play well in Milwaukee. But they got to get more out of Drew Holiday, man. There's no margin for error now for Milwaukee. They're down 2-0. There's not a lot they can do. You know, if they lose another game. If they lose game three, it's over. It's just going to be, you know, can they avoid the sweep or not? They have to win game three. They have to win probably game four, too. And Drew Holiday is going to... I know he's been great on defense, and he's made a lot of big defensive plays. And I am somebody, as we'll get into in the next segment, we'll get into this more with a different topic, but I'm someone who really does value the defensive end of the floor and perimeter defense. I think it's still really important to have... I know stars are probably going to get their points and whatnot in the playoffs, but you can make them inefficient. A missed shot is a missed shot. And you'd rather have somebody going, you know, 15 for 35 than 15 for 25, right? If you're talking about a star player. So... Oh, boy, we got a couple of... uh, here. This is interesting. Um, but yeah, you would you would much rather have the inefficient performance on the other team. You want the guy who can make them work. And Drew has been good on defense. He's made some flashy defensive plays. Um, but they've got to get more out of him on offense. You've got to quit it with the missed layups. That, that's just, just not going to fly. You're not going to win a title that way. I mean, Eric Bledsoe wasn't a bad defender. He just sucked on offense. So now Drew's going to come in here and suck on offense too. They they need more out of him. And I'm a Drew Holiday fan, but buddy, you got to step, you got to step it the fuck up, or Milwaukee will not have a chance of winning this series. So, to me, this really is going to come down to those two guys, this series, because Phoenix is doing what they're doing. I think they're they're playing really well, but not unbeatably well. And some of the stuff they're doing is not so sustainable. So, 
if Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton can contribute offensively with how good Giannis looks, I mean, Giannis looks pretty healthy. Like, I know he's not 100%, but he's playing. He is playing. He, I mean, he played out of his mind. Like, the guy just needs a little help. And if a few things had gone a different way, Milwaukee easily could have taken one of the two in Phoenix. So, I guess what I'm saying is, I don't... This series is not over. Milwaukee... I think they're, Milwaukee will win at least once at home. Probably, I think Milwaukee probably wins both at home. I think they do. I think it goes back to Phoenix 2-2. Two to two. My question is... Can the Bucks win Game 5 or 7 in Phoenix? Because that's what it's going to come down to. Now, they're in a similar situation in the second round against Brooklyn. Where... They lost those first two on the road, and then they, you know, it went home road, went, you know, road loss, home win, the rest of the series, until the Bucks pulled it off in Game 7. Will they be able to do that in the finals? We know, you know, that experience in the second round could help them in this final situation. So it is not off the table that the Bucks can pull this out. It's just, I don't know if I bet on it at this point. The safe bet is definitely the Suns. And we'll have to see if the Bucks can pull out Game 5 or Game 7. Because that's what it's going to come down to. And obviously, if they lose 3 or 4, you know, I'm not going to bank on a 3-1 comeback. It's probably done. So, Bucks got to play well these next couple of games at least. And then they can, you know, you can see what happens. But, you know, it's been a good series so far. Good games. I'm really enjoying it. It is some of the best uh, some of the best finals basketball I've watched. You know, I, I've been a long time, you know, I haven't been a, a, a fan of, of the way the finals has been a lot of the time. Um, obviously, it's not their fault. But, like, when you have these unlikable teams, you know, making it every year and half the time the series aren't even that good and it's just it's fun to have even if this ends in say five it's been a good series you know the games have been competitive and it's just been enjoyable to watch these teams compete it really has um see Devin Booker you know get to emerge now I do want to say if Phoenix wins I don't want to hear any because this is already a narrative that's going to piss me off. I don't want to hear any, oh, Devin Booker is better than Jason Tatum narrative. Like, no, 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 no. No, no, no. Jason Tatum is the better player. That's unquestionable. Booker's great. Booker's great, he is. But Tatum is the better player whether Booker wins the finals or not. Booker's great, though. Booker's great. Booker's a top 15 player. No doubt about it. But this Phoenix team is, is a team, man. And obviously, Chris Paul's the head of the snake. And it's been fun to see him, you know, really, really get to get his final shot here. And then obviously, that Milwaukee team that I've been enjoying, you know, rooting for um, after the, the Celtics lost. Like, you know, seeing the, the team that's been so battle tested and is. You know, gone through its uh, you know ups and downs, get get their shot. You know, it's been fun. 
And whoever wins this ring, as I've said many times, whoever wins this ring, I'm gonna look at I'm gonna look at Chris Paul, or I'm gonna look at Giannis, or I'm gonna look at whoever, and I'm gonna say, "Damn, that's cool. That's a cool moment. They deserve that." And it's not not often that you can get that feeling of satisfaction with the NBA. It's not. Um, but the amount of times LeBron has won, or Kevin Durant has quote unquote won, some big asterisks on those as we all know, but, you know, really, really, whoever wins this will be my most liked champion, you know, possibly ever, at least since the 2014 Spurs, so, if it's, yeah, so, you know, I'm happy, and, and, you know, Jay Crowder is someone, you know, obviously, even though I'm not rooting for the Suns series, like, that's the beautiful thing about it, I'm gonna be able to look at it and be like, Jay Crowder on the Suns getting that ring, man, I feel good for that guy. He was part of my favorite Celtics team of all time, 2017. And he was a big part of that team. And now he's getting, yeah, he, he is just, uh, I wanted him back in the offseason. I was pissed we didn't get him back. But, man, he was smart going to the Suns, obviously. And they are great with him. And just, you know, I'll be happy for him if he's able to get that ring. So... You know, we'll see what happens. Game three, Sunday at eight. I am looking forward to getting to watch it. It should be a lot of fun. And that's what we're gonna get into then. So now we're gonna move on to the second topic that I wanna talk about. And that is a report yesterday. You know, an interesting off-season report. So tucked into a mock draft on The Athletic. I believe Zach Harper wrote, wrote, wrote the mock draft. and did the mock draft and tucked into you know a piece on on the Spurs pick I don't even remember who the pick was it's not really relevant to this but there's a note about how the Spurs are probably going to keep their pick not a surprise but that they, the Spurs have to evaluate where they're going as a franchise which is true they do and that DeJounte Murray and Derek White might be gettable so a lot to unpack there now, as far as the Spurs' position, it, it, they are in an interesting spot. They are really stuck in the middle. And I think one of the reasons they have they have kind of not done a full teardown is, one, I don't know if that's really their style. They've been a team that has traditionally been in the playoffs throughout their history. You know, going back to the David Robinson years, like they, they rarely miss the playoffs. Like the one shot, the, the shot they had at Tim Duncan was because David Robinson got hurt. So they took that chance, tanked, got Duncan, and then started winning titles. And then they obviously found Tony Parker and Manu Ginobili and Kawhi Leonard mid-first round or later. Kawhi mid-first, Tony Parker late-first, and Ginobili in the second round. So, they found those guys. And the Spurs have a track record. They have drafted well. They could find those guys again. The question is, you can find good players late in drafts. To find difference makers late in drafts is harder. And looking at the Spurs, the one thing they don't really have, they don't have difference makers. It might be, there is an argument 
that it is one of the two or three least star-laden rosters in the NBA. Especially if DeMar DeRozan leaves. They just don't have that star power. And so, they're, they're, they're a team that is stuck in the middle. They have a lot of cap flexibility this offseason. But they don't... I mean, who are they going to spend it on? That's the problem. Who are they going to spend that cap flexibility on? I mean, they could get more good players, but... At the end of the day... They're in a bit of a, a difficult spot, at least in terms of trying to compete right now. And it's tough because they probably want to compete right now because Greg Popovich, they've probably got another year or two of him until he retires. And they don't want to send him out on a, on a losing note. However, just looking at their franchise, the best thing they could do is to kind of blow it up and tank. There's a void right now at the bottom of the NBA for one. There's a lot of teams that are trying to win. Really, the teams going into next year that you know they're going to try, probably be trying to lose are the Houston Rockets, the Oklahoma City Thunder, the Detroit Pistons, and the Orlando Magic. I don't even know. I don't know if there's a fifth. I don't know if there's a fifth team on that list. I mean, you look at teams like like Minnesota and. Sacramento and New Orleans that in the West um, you know missed the, the playoffs last year even missed the play-in they're probably not you know going to be trying to do that they're going to be trying to win then you in the East you have like Cleveland and you know Cleveland is kind of in between there they're they might reset it a little bit but they're going to be you know, they're, they, they're going to be a team that probably wants to show some progress, and they have some pieces there already. So, and then the rest of the East is really kind of muddled. So it's like, you look at that, and it's like, there's a void for, for teams that are rebuilding. There's more room for that. The question is, can you do that with Greg Popovich there? That's the question. But, you know, if it, you look at this... Murray White situation, and if you're the Spurs, this is kind of an opportunity where, like, if you let DeMar DeRozan walk, and you you have a clean slate to do a rebuild if you want, you can trade Murray and or White. You can use your cap space to take on bad salary from other teams. And then just kind of do a rebuild. This is the team that is really set, I think, well to do that. That's probably the best path for them. It's just, will they do it with Greg Popovich there? Now, as far as... Oh, that slowed up fast. Um, okay. So, as far as, you know, the Boston Celtics and my team... I am very intrigued by this development. Um, because, so, I'll start to say, first, White, White's a good player, but White is not my target here. White is more of a combo guard, I think. He's more of a scorer, for sure, than Murray. But, the thing is, is, he makes more, 
And again, he's not that point guard. So, and he's not as good defensively. So, I'm actually a little less interested in Derek White. The guy I'm interested in here, I am very interested in this player, in bringing him to Boston, is DeJounte Murray. That is intriguing as hell to me. And there's a lot of permutations you could come up with, but... Um, so, some of it, I think, would depend on, if you're the Celtics, how open you want to keep the door for Bradley Beal. I think there's, you know, a 50-50 shot the Celtics can get Beal. Um, I think there's a, very, there's a very good chance he will stay in Washington... He's loyal. I think he's going to, you know, that could be something he wants to do. You know, and give them every chance in the world, and, and, he, and he's just content there. That I could see that. I could also see Beal wanting to jo- jo- join up with his friend Jason Tatum. So, obviously, if you're the Celtics and you, you get intel that there's a decent chance that can happen you're going to be probably a little bit more protective of your assets in case you need some for a a Beal trade and then there's only so much you know if you and then if you have time in free agency there's only so much that you can have on your salary cap so that could you know impact the, the the Celtic willingness to trade assets for a guy like DeJounte Murray so I think if you're looking at it that way, the idea that would work best, there's two main trade constructs I could see. One of them is a three-way trade, Marcus Smart to a third team. Third team sends assets to the Spurs, and then the Spurs send DeJounte Murray to Boston. Marcus Smart right now slotted in as a starting point guard for, for the Celtics. So you could... You could you, you, you could pull that off, and then you just do something. Murray is going to bring a lot of the defense that Smart would and he is going to be more of a true point guard I think so that's that's a thing so you could do something like that and then that leaves the door open where it's probably easier to make a move for a guy like Beal if you have that, because again, again, that's you know, there's only so many of these of the supporting guys that you'll be able to keep if you, you know, if you need to get Beal via cap space. So that is a bit of a factor. Now, if you're getting Beal via trade, you could use the Horford contract and you know, figure it out. But then the question is, well, you're down a, probably down a pick, a young player, and then, then it just becomes harder to do. So, you can pull, you can pull stuff off, for sure. For sure you can. So, oh my God, it is backed up on the other side of the road. I am glad I'm not over there. Wow. Um, but yeah, so, that that's an option. Another option, and this is pro- this is definitely going to be the preferred route. If you look at if the Celtics look at it and say, "Well, you know what? We don't think Beal's going to want to join our team," or you know what, we would prefer to just build around our two stars and 
you know, we don't think building around three scoring wings is necessarily the way to go. You know, things like, you know, we, we don't want to just, you know, get to a point where our depth is completely stretched because we have three max guys. I think that's a little overblown for this team just because you've got, you know, Tatum, Tatum didn't make All-NBA, so he's, they saved five mil on his contract, and then they saved five mil off of Jalen's just for shrewd negotiating, so, like, you know, they can probably take, you know, at least for now, have that third max guy more easy than easier than some teams. So, I don't know how much I, I, I buy that, but let's just say the, the Celtics are, you know, don't think they're going to be able to pull off anything for Beal, for Bradley Beal. Then, your ideal construct is probably, you know, Tristan Thompson's expiring contract, a first round pick like next year, and a young player. We'd prefer probably to give, you know, Romeo Langford in that deal. So that's your that's your trade construct and you know that would mean and, and that would certainly be the better uh, option for this year for next year's team as far as putting the best team on the floor that you can because that would be a home that would be a home run for this rotation you'd have be able to play Murray and Smart together and then use Fournier off the bench as the sixth man and that defense look at that what that defense would be would become I mean wow just wow it would be it would be incredible it would be it would be it would be the 85 bears playing basketball is what it would be that defense i mean murray is an all defensive all defensive team player marcus smarts an all defensive team player and a defensive player of the year caliber defender and then you have brown and tatum who are very good on that end of the floor then you have Robert Williams, who is unbelievable on that end of the floor. Al Horford, who is very good on that end of the floor still. It's, you know, those are your big men. And then, you know, you might have some some guys on the wing, like, like Neesmith has shown signs of being a, you know, a competent, you know, defender. He at least tries hard. Neesmith tries hard. He made that, you know, that was very noticeable at the end of the season, his effort in some of the games. You know, so obviously Fournier is not known as a defender, but he's not awful. He's not good, but he's not awful. So, and then he's a guy who can, who can really come off the bench and be, you know, that offensive threat off the bench that, that the Celtics could use. So, that could really be a scary, scary team next year. And again, that team is going to give up. That team's going to give up, like, 90 points a game. They're going to be so good on defense. Like, it would be incredible. Now, obviously, the, the thing people would look at with that lineup would be, especially the Murray, Smart, Brown, Tatum, 
and Robert Williams lineup, the Time Lord lineup. So that lineup, the thing is, you know, people would question, well, where's the spacing? Do you have enough spacing? Do you have enough shooting? I looked at some numbers on this because I was curious. Because I didn't really know, you know. I know Murray's had a reputation of, um, you know, maybe not being the greatest shooter all the time. So I was like, well, let me check this because I don't want to bring, you know, I don't want to, like, completely screw our offense either with this idea. Right? Because offense is still the more important end of the floor at the end of the day. So... Defense is important. I am somebody who believes defense is very important, but offense is still more important. So, the thing is, Murray shot 36% from three last year. So, the guy is not someone who is the complete non-threat from behind the arc. So, if he's going to be able to hit threes at an okay clip like that, then I don't know what really the concern is. And Marcus Smart, you know, say whatever you want about him. He does go on streaks where he really can help you get back into a game or whatever. He has a flair for the clutch. Whenever the team, whenever, if you're, you know, whenever we need something, you know, to get us back into a game or to close out a game or whatever, it always seems like it is Marcus Smart making it happen. The guy's intangibles are just off the charts. And that that is one real um, thing there. So he can hit shots, and so that's four four out, one in with Robert Williams, who provides you know a different kind of spacing, you know, with his vertical ability. So, and then obviously you've got Horford as that stretch big dynamic. So, you know, if you're the Celtics. That's got to be pretty, pretty intriguing. Now, obviously, the pro, the, the the thing you'd have to look at would be, you know, well, what's the what's the Celtics budget going to be in twenty twenty in 2022-23? Because uh, Robert Williams is going to get extended, and the Celtics are going to have to decide, you know, if they make a move for for a guy like Murray. Okay, will we be able to? know pay that amount of luxury tax they're gonna have to make that determination that 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 is a drawback of the Thompson plus young player plus pick idea but you know you know at some point the Celtics ownership you know and I don't want to criticize them because I think overall they're good they're good owners they're they stay out of the way with basketball operations they try to do the right thing, they're supportive, they are invested, all those things, I I think they're definitely, you know, you could definitely have a lot worse out of your ownership group than what the Celtics do. Um, They're accountable, uh, you know, all sorts of stuff. Um, They they run the organization the right way overall. However, I have heard for years that Oh, we're going to, you know, we're just out of the luxury tax right now because, you know, we are, you know, the competitive situation, you know, kind of dictates that, you know, we're, 
were and initially there we're rebuilding and, and we need to reset our clock or you know then we're trying to have cap flexibility or you know all these different sorts of explanations and I'm like okay I bought all of it hook line and sinker and they're exactly right they're exactly right to say that because they were right that that's exactly what it was it was a good you know it was the right thing competitively to do however they're in a window right now where unless they are trying to create cap space for Bradley Beal in a year if that's the route they end up needing to go if they think they can land him and that's the route they need to go to make it happen the Celtics are in a position where competitively the best thing they could do is suspend it's suspend they've got trade exceptions they've got cap exceptions they've got that Tristan Thompson contract to move the best thing they can do is to be willing to spend. The more they're willing to spend, the better a team they're going to have next year. It's a pretty clear correlation. And I think they're going to be pretty damn good. I think they're going to shock some people. I do. But they've got to be willing to spend to add some of these supporting pieces around Tatum and Brown. So, and look, with this Murray trade, it's like next year it might not even be that much. You know, it might be that $10 million over the tax. It might be like $12 million over the tax. It won't be anything crazy. But really with that Horford situation, obviously Horford at $27 million, around $27 million this year and next year. The, the one next year is partially guaranteed, but if he's on the team, they're probably going to pick it up. They need to be willing to eat that one year. Because after that year, then you have Horford falling off off the uh, off the cap. They need to be willing to eat one year of luxury tax payments. They do. Uh, 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 of you know, like twenty million or so. Not asking for anything crazy, but just one year eat that twenty million. And then you can you, you can easily look at a trade like this uh, Dejounte Murray trade, and you can make it happen. And now, will a tra- something like, say, Tristan Thompson, Romeo Langford, and the Celtics' first-round pick in 2022, will that really get the Spurs' interest? I don't know. I don't know. It depends what their objectives as a franchise are. It depends what offers from other teams are. On the plus side, DeJounte Murray is a good young player on a good contract, and team, other teams might want that. The other side of it is, you know, point guard is a weak position. Not a weak position. What the hell am I saying? Point guard is a really deep position across the NBA. So how many... How many... Okay, we're slowing down here. So how many teams actually, like, need a starting point guard that are going to make an offer for him? So I think the, the only way a move happens is if the Spurs kind of just decide, you know, we're going to do a... a a hard rebuild, a deep rebuild. We're gonna to try to get high in the lottery, and then they just take what they can get. I think, and I think that would make sense for the Spurs. I really do. I do. But that's what they would have to happen. And then the Celtics could be in a position to, you know, bid more than some other teams. So, yeah, I definitely. And obviously, I haven't even mentioned this yet. You have the Ime Udoka connection. Udoka coached DeJounte Murray with the Spurs. 
So that that that's a connection. You know, he's going to know what Murray can do, and he'll know if he thinks it's a good idea to add him to this group of players the Celtics have. So we'll see what happens. But man, if if they ultimately decide, you know, we're just going to go in on building a team around Tatum and Brown and let the chips fall where they may, and, and that's it. Man, if you had a Murray, Smart, Brown, Tatum, Robert Williams starting five, and Pritchard, Fournier, Neesmith, and Al Horford off your... I don't know who would start at center between Horford and, and Robert Williams. That's a question to be answered, but... Man, if that's your team, good luck NBA. That is an intimidating team to play against. That is a team that's going to be able to lock down on defense... And that's a team that, led by Tatum and Brown, they're going to be pretty damn good on offense, too. So, yeah. So, I think that's going to wrap up the, the podcast episode for today. Thank you for listening. And, um, yeah, have a great day.